Hello, and welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We trust that this will be a great encouragement to you and build your faith. Enjoy today's message. We're going to do this. All right, now, hey, you're, if you have your Bible, look at James chapter 4, verse 11 through 17. And that's what we're going to read today. And, and James, in this letter, is teaching us, challenging us, not to play God. That's what these verses are really really about. And the question we need to ask ourselves, am I playing God in the lives of others or even in the life of myself? Most of us would say, I'm not playing God, but the truth is we, a lot of us, play God. So let's read it. Believers, this is verse 11, do not speak against or slander one another. I'm reading from the Amplified. He who speaks self-righteously against a brother or judges his brother hypocritically, speaks against the law and judges the law. If you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy, the one who has the absolute power of life and death. But who are you to hypocritically and self-righteously pass judgment on your neighbor? (laughs) That verse right there, does that make you feel good? Come now and pay attention to this. You who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such city and spend a year there and carry on our business and make a profit. Yet you do not know the least thing about what may happen in your life tomorrow. What is secure in your life? You are merely a vapor like a puff of smoke or a wisp of stream from a cooking pot that is visible for a little while and then vanishes into thin air. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills. We will live and we will do this or we will do that. But as it is, you boast vainly in your pretension and arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. So any person who knows what is right to do but doesn't do it, to him, it is sin. Today we're talking about, am I playing God? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask you to be in this room today. I ask you to speak with every heart and every life. Lord, I believe this word is a word for us today as a church. I believe this is a theme that you've put on my heart for the body of Christ. So I ask that you help me communicate it clearly. But most importantly, Lord, give us all ears to not just hear this word, but to respond to it and to walk it out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's just begin to break these verses down. One by one, let's look at verse 11, and it starts with believers. We've looked at this multiple times in this study, but when James says believers, or when he says brothers or sisters, who is he speaking to? The church, the body of Christ. This is not a a letter to the sinners. Now, a sinner can hear this and respond, but he's writing to the body of Christ. So it's important we get this. And he says, so Christians... Brothers, sisters, believers, followers of Christ, do not. Everybody say, do not. not. Say it again. Say, do not. not. It doesn't leave much wiggle room here. It's not like, hey, if they've really wronged you, then you can do this. Or it's not a, hey, don't do this unless they're wrong and you're right. It's not, don't do this if you think they're, it's do not. Do not speak against another believer. Don't do it. Let's pray. Let's give an altar call, right? 
do not speak against another believer or slander one another. He who speaks self-righteously against a brother or judges his brother hypocritically speaks against the law and judges the law. What's this saying here? If you talk, if you judge or gossip poorly about other people, if you are setting yourself up above the law, what that's saying is you are playing God and you are setting yourself higher than God in their life. And if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. So what James is saying here is stop playing God. Because when we do this, we are saying that we are a qualified critic. And as a qualified critic, we can stand over another believer and judge them because we are superior to them or better than them, even though we don't know the whole story. But James is telling us you do not have a right. You are not superior. Just like them, you are flawed. And this is what James is teaching us here. And James uses this word, when he says this word, speak against, it is the Greek word kataleleo. Kataleleo. And it means to speak against or to accuse or to judge, or to speak evil of. This word is found multiple times throughout the Bible in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Places like Numbers 21.15 when it says the people of Israel spoke against God by complaining about their conditions. Psalm 50 verse 20, it says a wicked person will speak against his brother, slandering him with lies. 1 Peter 3.16 says, you do what is right. Then if men, outsiders or believers speak against you, calling you evil names, they will become ashamed of themselves for falsely accusing you when you have only done what is good. So James is teaching us when he uses this word, catalaleo, he's saying that a Christian, listen to me, a Christian who speaks against other believers is including themselves in a group of people that the Bible calls or describes as rebellious mumblers, moaning grumblers, or deceitful and and wicked slanderers. That's what James is teaching us. When you speak against other believers, you are putting yourselves in a category that none of us want to be in. I don't want to be in that group. And you guys, you all know how it works, right? We, we go to speak about another believer, we, and let's just call it what it is. We go to gossip about another believer or judge another believer to another believer or to a non-believer. And we say things like this. I don't mean to be critical, but have you heard? Or we say things like, I, I know I probably shouldn't say this about Chris, but have you heard? You want to hear it? You guys want to hear it? You know, or we say things like this. You know, I really like, you know, I really like Ken Bradford. But did you know? This is what we do. And the truth is, far too often, we criticize, we judge, we gossip, or we speak against a person before we have even a quarter of the facts. We observe an event, we observe somebody walking through a hallway and they didn't smile at you and so therefore you prejudge them as somebody that is stuck up. 
We don't have all the facts. Maybe they didn't see you. Or maybe they had something else on their mind. Or we catch a few words of a conversation. We just overhear Jason saying something about, you know, this guy in a completely innocent way. But we take it and walk away and tell somebody else, did you hear what Jason said about this person? And we don't catch all the events and we leap to a conclusion. And what comes next is we all start flapping our jaws about it. And it spreads, and before you know it, gossip that is untrue, judgment of somebody that is untrue becomes the latest news. And there's nothing more contagious in a church. It's not COVID. It's not the common cold. There's nothing more contagious and deadly in a church or a school or a business or a home than negative, slanderous news. There's nothing. It's contagious, and it spreads like wildfire, and it destroys. And James tells us in no uncertain terms, Christians do not engage in this type of activity because only God is qualified to judge. And I don't know if you know it, but you are not God. Yes, we like to play God. And we're going to deal with that in just a moment. We like to think that we're God. We like to think that we are in control, but we are not God. So stop trying to play God. And throughout the Bible, we see the Bible speaking of slander and gossip and criticism. And there's not one place in the entire book where it says it's okay to slander someone. There's not one place in the entire Bible where you can justify your actions. Jesus tells us in Luke 6, 37, do not judge. Or the living Bible says it this way, never criticize someone or condemn them. You know what never means? Never. Don't do it. You can't justify it. Paul tells us in Romans 2, 1 through 2, I want to read this to you from the message. This is incredible. Those people are on a dark downward spiral. But if you think that leaves you on the high ground where you can point your finger at others, think again. Every time you criticize, listen to this church, every time you criticize someone, you condemn yourself. Hello. It takes one to know one. Thank you, Paul. Judgmental criticism of others is a well-known way of escaping detection in your own crimes and misdemeanors. But God isn't so easily diverted. He sees through all the such smoke screens and holds you to what you've done. So don't judge people. Don't condemn them. Don't speak evil of them. Don't don't do it. But to truly understand the context here, we to understand the scripture, we need to understand the context. Jesus and Paul and James and all of these things that I've read today are speaking about a Pharisaical, holier than thou, more righteous than you attitude that honestly was what we see in the church. It's this, I'm going to speak about that other believer behind their back. And it's nasty. But you remember what Jesus tells us in Matthew 7, 4? How can you call out the speck in your brother's eye when you have a two-by-four sticking out of your face? So what is James teaching us here? It's a couple things. And I honestly, I, I had, I like when I... Type my messages, you know, all of you know how to do this a little bit. You can, like, 
scroll over a whole section and like highlight it. I almost deleted this part from my message because I thought I don't want to really give the full context because I'm afraid that some of us will use it and we'll try to act like we are the discerning type. But here's what James is really teaching us. Number one, we must resist the temptation to criticize and find fault in our fellow believers because that is not our job. It is not my job or your job to find fault in other people. It is not your job to do that. We are not God. They have a judge and it's not you. So stop being a judge. Stop. But, but James is also teaching us there's a difference between being critical and judgmental and being discerning. And this is the part I hesitated to really talk about because I know some of you are going to, because we want to find a loophole so we can talk about people. We want to justify our actions. We want to speak about other people. Why? Because I think when we talk about other people, we, th- we think it makes us feel better or look better. And so we want to find a loophole. And so James, well, this isn't a loophole, but James is telling us a critic delights in finding faults, but a discerner delights in the truth. The difference here is motivation. A critic believes they are the judge. A discerner knows the Lord is the judge. So I want you to hear me. James is not suggesting that we be gullible, permissive, and tolerant, letting people get away with everything. He's not saying, hey, let people sin because you can't judge. I think that one of the most misunderstood scriptures is Luke 6, 37, do not judge. We use that to justify our sins. You can't judge me. Bible says, no, that's not what, that's not, that's honestly not the full context. It's talking about being holier than thou and judging someone. But I can call out sin. But I can't judge you to other people. I can't go to Brian Penny and say, hey, I got this about Chris. That's not what, that's, that's what it's talking about. Like, I can go to Brian as my brother in Christ and say, Brian, I see this sin in you. And I can call that. I'm not judging him. But when I'm going and saying, hey, Brian, did you hear what Chris did? And I'm judging Chris's actions. This is what James and Paul and Jesus are speaking of here. So I have the right James throughout his letter. What's he doing? He's calling out some sins. So James is not telling us be be gullible and be permissive and be tolerant and let people just run wild. No, what James is telling us is as believers, we must stop playing God and we must stop being judge, jury, and executioner. Listen to me. Write this down. There is a difference between confrontation for the purpose of building up and condemnation for the purpose of tearing down. Let me say it again. There is a difference between confrontation for the purpose of building somebody up. If I go to use Brian again, if I go to Brian because I see something in him, hey, Brian, I want to help you with this. I'm not judging. I'm not tearing down. What am I doing? I'm trying to build him up. It's like my children. If I go to my children, I'm not judging them. Hey, this is an incorrect behavior. I want to build you up so you don't act this way out there. I don't go to my kids and say, hey, Makai, did you hear what Maddox is doing? Why would I do that? It's because I want to tear Maddox down. It's not how we do it. So James is saying, stop playing judge, jury, and executioner. And because James 12, James 4.12 reminds us, there's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who's able to save and destroy, the one who has the absolute power of life and death. So James is teaching us only God can press true judgment on a person's actions and motives without fault, hypocrisy, or spite. Only God can do that. Only God knows the whole story. So the simplest thing is, is just stop talking about each other. Just stop. 
Well, I'm trying to determine if I'm being discerning or judging. No, just stop. That's the safer bet. Just stop doing it. You know, like, just put tape over your mouth. Whatever it takes. And then James shows a little gut punch to finish up verse 12, and he says, who are you? To hypocritically or self-righteously pass judgment on your neighbor. And when I read that, I'm like, ouch, that hurts. Who are you? Who do you think you are? Why do you think you have a right to tear down one of God's kids? Well, pastor, I'm just, no, there's no justification. There's no justification to tear down your pastor. There's no justification to tear down your neighbor. There's no justification to tear down your Sunday school teacher or whatever it might be. There is no justification. All you are doing when you are tearing down their name is you are tearing down the body of Christ. And it is destruction. And I believe if we as the body of Christ could just speak kindly toward each other and of each other, we could change the world. But instead, the world is like, why would I want to be a part of you? Because all you do is tear each other down. So Destiny Church, let's be a church that does not. Catalileo. What is that word again? To speak evil of or to speak against, or to accuse, or to judge. Let's not do that. Let's not be those people. Only God can do that. So then James switches, um, verse 11 and 12, he's talking about stop playing God in the lives of others. And then verse 13 and 16, he says, stop playing God in your own lives. Let's look at it. Let me just tell you, this first part is important, but we've, we've looked at gossip and slander and all of that already throughout the book of James. So I don't want to spend a whole lot of time there, but it's important. And just as I said, I think if Christians could stop being judgmental and critical and gossipy, I think we could, I think we could change the world. So let's just, let's just make a choice. We're not going to be those people, right? Who agrees with me? Who says you'll stop? Raise your hand if you'll say, I'm going to stop, all right? Not all of you raise your hand so you know who the gossips are in the church. Stay away from them, all right? Just, <laughs> just stay away. Love you, but uh, I don't want to talk to you anymore, all right? Everybody want to raise your hand again? Everybody's like, yes, I do. <laughs> but this second part of this sermon, man, I'm praying this one speaks to you about. This part really spoke to me. Here, James is talking about, in these four verses, he's talking about our propensity to compartmentalize our lives into two areas. We compartmentalize our lives into that which is sacred and that which is secular that which is holy or that which is personal. And I know there's probably not going to be a person in the room in either service or anybody that's watching online today who would openly say, there's prob- I, I don't know any believer who would openly say something like, yeah, I have certain areas of my life where I like to banish God to the back room. I don't think any of us would openly admit to doing that. But we do it. We give God semi-control over certain tasks or areas in our lives. Semi-control. But we keep the daily mundane things or the stuff I really want to control, we keep it close. And for most of us in this room, most of us watching online, and please hear me, I am, I am 
not being judgmental or critical here. I'm not trying to condemn anyone. I'm simply communicating to you as your pastor and your shepherd of what I see in the body of Christ. But many of us, what we do is we make God a part-time Lord. We make him part-time Lord over most religious issues. And why do I say most religious issues? Because there are certain religious issues. There are certain things in the scriptures, in the text that dampen. You, they, they cramp your style a little bit. And so you push those aside. And you take control over that. Most of us in this room, we make God Lord over most moral issues. Unless, again, it cramps our style or messes with our reputation. He's a part-time Lord. God is in charge when I have questions concerning my faith or when I really need an answer to a prayer. God is in control when it seems like the world is a chaotic mess and I need some peace. That's God's realm. God can have all of that. God can make me peaceful. God can help me with some stuff. God can have control of my religious life. And I know that that might sound extreme, but this is the truth in many of our lives. And it doesn't stop here. On the other side of this coin, it's this two-sided coin, we like to have control over certain areas of our lives. We like to have full control of our lives unless that area of our life starts to spiral out of control, then we run to God and say, help. But we like to have control. We, we want to have full control of our finances. This isn't a giving message, but let it be a giving message. We, we like to take full control of our finances. That's why many of us in this room only give when it's convenient. We don't give to be generous. We don't give to be a blessing. We don't give to honor God's word. We aren't constant givers because money is mine. I worked for it. I earned it. I deserve it. So we hold on to it tightly. And let me just tell you, the Lord cannot bless this. The Lord blesses this. And so we give God control over certain areas, but we don't give him control over other areas. We, we, take, we like to take control of our relationships. And we want to control those. We, we make business decisions outside of God. We, we go to purchase a new home and we never one time consult God, should I do this? We get ready to leave a church because somebody in that church did something that I didn't like or I overheard a story that you don't have anything to know if it's true or not, but you make a decision to leave the church without ever consulting God. We make decisions every single day of our life and God is never one time involved. We, we don't give, we, we like to have full control of our everyday decisions because why? Because God doesn't really care about those things or have time for those things. So I want him to be able to focus on the big things, you know, like nuclear war and all that kind of stuff. Or the real truth is, is we don't give God those things, not because we don't think he has time. The real reason we don't give God control of those things is because we want to be in control. It's a faith issue. It's a faith issue. We don't trust God. And at the core of this sinful ideology or this philosophy of life is this idea that we are the masters of our domain. We are in control. We, me, I, 
I own my life. I am the God of my life. I pull myself up by my bootstraps. I call the shots. But the truth is, and this is what James is teaching us here, is we are not in control. Look how James starts speaking of this very issue here. Verse 13. Come now and pay attention to this. You who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such city and spend a year there and carry on our business and we'll make a profit. And many of you see this verse and you think, what is wrong with this? Let me just tell you, there's nothing wrong. There is nothing in these activities that is negative or sinful. There's nothing wrong with planning ahead. There's nothing evil about setting a schedule. There's nothing bad about engaging in business. There's nothing sinful about making a profit. What's the problem, James? What's the problem? What are you teaching us? What we see here is James teaching us about the everyday affairs of life. And this is precisely what he's teaching us. Listen, I want you to catch this. James is teaching us because God is our sovereign Lord. Listen to me. We must consider his will in every single area or aspect of our lives. So why is James using these like everyday affairs? It's because James is teaching us that God needs to be, not needs, God has to be involved in every affair of your life. All of it. And this, this really has to do with the central message of the Bible. Jesus is Lord. And I... And I I've had this word rolling through my brain a little bit the last few weeks, but really as I studied this portion of Scripture, it came to mind even more clear. James is teaching us about lordship. What is lordship? Lordship means that Jesus is the ruler, the boss, and the master of your life. That's lordship. Listen to me today. He cannot be a part of it. It can't, listen to me, I want you to get this. This is important. When you make Jesus Lord of your life, there is no longer room for, well, this is sacred, that's God's. This is secular, this is mine. That's not lordship. That's American Christianity. Lordship, the kind that Jesus died for, is when you say, here's my whole life. Take it all. That's lordship. This is what James is teaching us here. Lordship means, God, I give you control of my entire life. Reminds me of what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 46. He says, why are you so polite with me, always saying, yes, sir, and that's right, sir, but you never do a thing I tell you. Or the Living Bible says it this way, why do you call me Lord, but you don't obey me? Jesus wants to be Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, big, bold, underlined letters of your life. He wants lordship. Big decisions, little decisions. Mundane and difficult, secular and sacred, all of it. Jesus wants all of it. 
And starting in verse 14, James begins to point out a problem with this mindset that we have that I can go it alone or I'm the Lord of my own life attitude. James starts to point a finger at it. Listen to what he says. You don't know the least thing about what might happen in your life today or tomorrow. What is secure in your life? James is teaching us as humans, we have no idea what the future will bring. We don't know what's going to happen today. My plan is I'm going to finish this message We're going to talk a little bit. I'm going to preach another one, and we're going to have a connect class. I'm going to go home, and I'm going to eat some dinner with my family. That's my plan right now. But I don't know. My plan is tomorrow night I want to go sit in the deer woods and shoot a big buck. That's my hope. But I don't know what's going to happen. My plan is this Thursday we're going to have Thanksgiving dinner with my family, but I I can't guarantee that. My plan is a week from tomorrow, I'm going to get on a plane and head to South Africa. That's my plan. But I don't know what's going to happen. And James is teaching us here, none of you can control that. And as I'm getting older, I'm realizing this more and more and more. I might live to 90. I might not see 49. And I don't mean any of that to be morbid, but this is what only God knows. Only God knows. And then James says something at the end of verse 14 that has always stuck out to me. I remember when I read this as a kid. I remember teaching this as a youth pastor. And it seemed pressing then, but it seems even more so pressing now at 48. Listen to what he says. You are merely a vapor. Like a puff of smoke or a wisp of steam from a cooking pot that is visible for a little while and then vanishes into thin air. Let's give you an illustration of this. When you walked outside this morning on a cold morning or later this week as it gets even colder and you breathe and you see that puff of air come out, what happens to that air? Disappears, right? Just as quickly as you see your breath, it's gone. That's what James is teaching us our life is like. Your your life, though it might be 70 years or 80 years or 90 years, James says it's here and then it's gone. I'm realizing more and more that life passes quickly. It seems like yesterday my dad was teaching me how to drive my 1981 Toyota Celica. Red plastic white seats. (laughs) My car was cheap. My sister's car was more expensive. We knew from the beginning who was the favorite child in that family. I'm just saying. You'd go outside to start it. You had to like hold it down for a while, but hey, we made it. Seems like yesterday I was graduating high school. Seems like yesterday Tasha was walking down the aisle. Seems like yesterday that my kids were born. Seems like yesterday we planted this church. It all seems so close, yet at the same time, it all seems so distant. Life is merely a vapor. It's here today. And it's gone tomorrow. I love what the enduring word commentary says of verse 14. He says this. James is not discouraging us from planning and doing. James is only discouraging us from planning and doing apart from reliance on God. James isn't saying don't plan. James isn't saying don't have a schedule. James is just saying if you plan or have a schedule or make a profit, make a profit with God by your side. And then James 15, we're getting ready to wrap up. He teaches us as humans, we, 
we really don't have, especially as believers, we don't have a right to ignore God in any aspect of our lives. Here's what James teaches us, verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and we will do this or we will do that. I have to admit, years ago, when I was a kid reading this verse, I thought it sounded very churchy. And I remember... My grandparents, Grandma and Grandpa Blancet, I always thought they were just trying to sound churchy. When I'd say, like, Grandma, are you coming to my game? If the Lord wills. But then she would always add, and if the creek don't rise. <laughs> if the Lord wills and the creek don't rise. And I remember thinking as a kid, why do you say that all the time? Are you coming to my game or not? I always thought it was like an excuse. If something else came up better, then we're going to do that. But this makes so much more sense to me. As I live my own life, and these instructions from James, they, they, they might sound churchy, or they, they might sound off, especially in the world in which we live, where your truth is truth, and nobody can tell you what to do. But James, here's what I want you to hear me. James is really trying to teach the body of Christ to have a certain attitude or an orientation toward life that says, I will humbly submit myself to the one and only true God who is entitled to be Lord of all things, not just a few things. Let me say it again. What James is teaching us, what James is advocating for is as believers, we are humbly submitting ourselves to Jesus so that he becomes Lord, not just of a few things, but of everything. I want you to get this, and I know that's counter to the culture that we live in, but James is teaching us, live your lives as believers in such a way that God governs all things. Everybody say all. Live your life in such a way that God governs all things. Why? Because he is Lord of all. So as a wrap up, I want to say this. Erase from your mind the mentality that says this is sacred and that is secular. Erase it. Get rid of it. Erase from your mind the part of your mentality that says God sees me here, but he doesn't see me over here. Let me say it again. Erase from your mind the mentality that says God sees this action, but he doesn't really care about this action. Erase from your mind the mentality that says this is heavenly and this is earthly. Erase from your mind the part that says this is spiritual and this physical. James is saying stop relegating that some things belong to God and most things don't. James is saying as the central theme of scripture is telling us Jesus is Lord and he governs all things. So Pastor Chad, you're saying to me, God wants to be a part of even the mundane daily decisions like, should I get gas at Come and Go or Casey's? Yes. All of it. All of it. And that's crazy to think because we all want to be in our control of our own lives. And I know that many of you are thinking, Pastor Chad, just... You're being a little extreme. No, this is just what Scripture says. And we can't, like, shy away from Scripture and make Scripture teach us anything other than what it teaches us. So this is what James 4.16 tells us is the alternative of this. 
As it is, you boast vainly in your pretension and arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. Here's what James is telling us. When you live your life as the master of your fate or the captain of your ship, it's evil, it's sin, it's arrogance. And he wraps up verse 17 with the nail in the coffin, so to speak. And he says, so any person who knows what is right to do but doesn't do it, it's sin. And I know some of you are thinking, dang it, I should have missed today. You know what? And then I wouldn't have known all this and I could have kept living my life. But guess what? You heard it. You heard it. You watched it. So if you go on judging others, it's sin. If you go on playing God in the lives of others, it is sin. And sin, what does it do? It separates us from God. If you go on being the master of your own domain and you only involve God in your decisions when you feel like it or you give him that area of your life, well, this is the sacred God can have it. James is telling us that is sin. Pastor Chad, you're being extreme. I'm not being extreme. I'm being biblical. In a destiny church, we want to honor God. In every single area of our life, we want to make him Lord. So whatever the cost, do it. So this is what James is teaching us here today. Living faith. So what he's teaching us throughout this book. Living faith, true faith, the kind of faith that honors God and inspires people. He says it knows the right thing to do, and it does the right thing. Comes back to what he taught us earlier. Don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. What's James teaching us? When you obey the Lord, you're making him Lord of your life. Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give to this ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can check out the link in the description to give or visit destinychurch.me slash give. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We love you and have a blessed week.